Lauren Paler, and welcome to Currency Exchange in partnership with World Class, brought to you by Diageo. World Class is a leading voice in cocktail culture and exists to inspire people to care about what, where, and how they drink. There is a great opportunity to connect with stories of our past and inner present. There is little value in knowing our history if it is incomplete and narrated in an inauthentic way. Your voice has value, just like currency, and collectively telling our stories will play a vital role in changing the narrative. Now let's introduce this week's episode. In episode eight of Currency Exchange, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Thais Rodriguez and Adam Fournier. Thais is a native New Yorker who began her culinary career at her mom's restaurant in New Jersey. After realizing that the kitchen was her home, she went on to study pastry arts at the French Culinary Institute in New York City. Thais is now with the team at Tom Foodery Kitchen as the senior culinary manager where she oversees various hospitality consulting projects and private chef caterings alongside chef and owner Thomas Tennant. Adam Fournier moved to Los Angeles in 2009 with dreams of being a writer, but after brief stints as an NBC page and Hollywood assistant, he fell back in love with his college job of bartending. In 2019, Nomad LA, the bar in which Adam runs, was nominated as one of the top 10 hotel bars in the country, as well as one of the West Coast top 10 bar teams by the Tales of the Cocktail Spirited Awards. Fournier is most recently U.S.'s world-class bartender of the year for 2021. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of Currency Exchange Podcast. Today, the amazing individuals that I will be chatting with are Thais Rodriguez from Cayman Islands, who is a chef, and Adam Fournier, based in lovely, sunny California. Welcome to both of you. Thanks so much for joining me. Hello. Thanks for having us here. Okay, so before we begin, I have to say this. Um, congratulations, Adam, on winning the World Class Bartender of the Year title for the U.S. in 2021. It's, gosh, it's so amazing. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you very much. It, it's, it's, been a, it's been a wild ride. Uh, World Class has been a part of my life for f- over five years now, and I'm, I'm happy to be on the other side of it now, giving back instead <laughs> of running the rat race part of it. Yeah, no, and I mean, uh, you know, having competed in 2019 with you and seeing your journey, it's, it's so inspiring and just really amazing. Because I know you worked really hard to get here, so I'm really happy for you. Oh, thank you. I, I, it's really is a great community. It's why I keep coming back, and it's why I've got to meet so many wonderful people like yourself. It's opened so many doors for me to have meet even more people like right now. So it's one of those things where like, that's the best thing about it for me, like the opportunity to to connect with more and more people of in our industry. Uh, so again, thanks for having me here. And yeah, thanks. Yeah. So back to our overall theme and topic. So over the last year, we've seen an increasing number of individuals leaving the food and beverage industry. Um, and, you know, thinking ahead to creating sustainable practices and establishments. Uh, what we're really going to talk about today are some things that we can do to prepare individuals starting in the food and beverage sector for the first time, and additionally, how we can empower them and give them a voice. So in order to start this conversation, um, I'm going to throw out a word that I think we often use, uh, sustainability. So I want to ask each of you respectively, what does the word sustainability mean to you? 
Um, and how does it play itself in the work that you do on a day-to-day? And Adam, we can start with you. Uh, sure. Uh, so sustainability to me means, um, it means thoughtfulness. It means thinking through not just the, the ingredients that you're using, but the practices you're using to uh, process those ingredients, what you're doing with any waste product that you might have, uh, and trying to build systems to ultimately reduce the impact without sacrificing quality. And that doesn't just mean like a physical food item to me. That also means how are we treating our staff? How are we training our staff? Like I, I think about the amount of wasted time and effort and energy that goes into the massive amount of turnover traditionally associated with, uh, say, the front of house in a restaurant or a bar. And that is ultimately not a sustainable model for, for a business and for a community uh, and trying to approach that kind of staffing side and training in the same kind of thoughtfulness I've been trying to approach how I think about how much waste I'm producing, like how, how much citrus waste am I doing? Like that same kind of thoughtfulness is uh, I, I think to me the core of what any sustainable idea is. And Thais, I know that, um, you know, this is actually the first time um, we've had you on any of the podcasts that we have a focus on health. And so um, we've done some programming together previously, but I'd love if you can just introduce yourself to folks who may not know who you are. <laughs> of course. Um, so I'm Thais Rodriguez. I am a chef and a little bit more than that, I like to say um, chef has a very defined term, um, and I like to think that I do a little bit more than that. So I currently live in Cayman Islands, and I'm the senior culinary manager for Tom Foodery Kitchen. Um, and what that means is I oversee um, the consultation process for food and beverage um, outlets within the island. Um, I also am in charge of private catering and events. So private chef services is kind of what um, is our bread and butter here right now. Um, training teams, recipe development, menu development, um, opening hotels and, and businesses. So kind of a little bit of that. Um, I've done that for about four years total on and off the island. Um, and yeah, I'm born and raised in New York, Dominican. Whoop, whoop. So yeah, really happy. I've been, I got actually got stuck in Cayman. So I've been here since COVID um, for about a year and a half, almost. Yeah. I know, I know. It sounds absolutely terrible. (laughs) Not a terrible place to be stuck in. I know, but that's exact. That's that's how I came back to the islands because I used to live here on and off um, for about total of seven years, Um, and yeah. So now I'm back and doing really cool things with what we have available to us. I love that. So I love the introduction. Thank you. So everyone, you know who Thais is now. (laughs) <laughs> and I love that Adam and Thais are so, so, so different in what they do. Um, I really want to lean into what sustainability means to you, just so we can kind of have an idea. Of, yeah, um, um, I think sustainability has a few definitions for me, but overall, I think what it comes down to is somehow meeting our needs without compromising the future generation and their needs. Um, and so what does that mean? I think that means that it's a continuous concern among ourselves, citizens, governments, businesses. um, And how does that play into a lot of um, just in general, what sustainability is, is, you know, 
it's just awareness. Uh, we have to make sure that we are aware of our surroundings, aware of our people, aware of ourselves, um, and making sure that every kind of decision that we're taking and making, we're moving forward with ourselves, our structures, our business plans, et cetera, um, that we are concerned and taking into concern um, you know, waste management, uh, greenhouse emissions, greenhouse emissions, sorry. Um, our employees' daily lives, their wages, their job satisfaction, their nutrition, their mental health, all of that, I think kind of, sustainability is a small word for a really big meaning of what it is, essentially. Um, right, it's, it's, right? <laughs> yeah, it's really like, to, not to mix metaphors, it really is kind of like the tip of that iceberg. <laughs> like we're concerned about the icebergs when we're talking about this too. Just yeah. like, there's a lot that goes into that word and what it means for everyone is something different. Uh, but I do think that one of the great things about it because like it can be so daunting sometimes, at least in my experience, to feel like, oh my God, what can I possibly do to make any kind of impact on us? But there's so much inefficiencies or places to make even a small difference that doing anything at all actually does make a difference. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the encouraging things about that massive umbrella. Yeah, a hundred percent. Such a good yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, true, truly, because I think one of the things for me that makes me so frustrated. Well, let's let's talk about it this way. Um, sustainability, to an extent, is a privilege. Incorporating it into your programs, and in some respect. However, I think if we think that it's very this like binary thing where it's all or nothing then that's where that privilege comes from. If we can make changes wherever possible, then we we're, we're, what we're creating is just opportunities wherever they may be appropriate for our establishments, which is honestly the way I think we should really be thinking about it. Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, in my previous job, I traveled a lot for work and you know, my, my, one of my coworkers, Edie, you know, her and I traveled a good amount. And so, a lot of our job, yes, it, developed, it was developing menus and developing teams and training and all that stuff, but it was also training hotels and people. How can they be sustainable? Like, how can you have this large, massive building that caters to tourism and caters to people? And how do you make these sustainable changes, right? And it's like what you guys are saying. It's starting small. It's super overwhelming to think about how to be sustainable. Um, what's not overwhelming is to list down where you can start, right? Like everybody makes a list of where to start, whether that's with your personal goals, development goals, business goals, whatever that is. And so I think that's something important to remember is that any small step is a step. Like it's yeah. never gonna be perfect, right? It's not, we're not about perfection, we're about progress. And I think that that's what we need to keep in mind. Absolutely, yeah. Let me ask you this. We've talked a little bit about sustainability being something, well, Tace, you said this exactly, which is it's it's really considering ourselves, but also preparing for what's to come and the people that are going to be coming and essentially stepping in our footsteps in the future, right? So what are the best ways to prepare the individuals that are going to be entering the food and beverage industry for the first time, acknowledging that, you know, this is one of many elements that we really need to ensure is kind of front of mind. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's the food and beverage industry has changed a lot, especially after COVID. Um, but there are still some things that we need to consider. And I think part of preparing individuals to come back, either whether it's their first time or they're coming back after taking a break, 
is to do your research. Like whenever I start in a new company or in a new job, I do my research into why am I starting there? Why am I interested in this place? What are they doing for their people? What are they doing for their community? What are they doing for their you know, carbon footprints? Um, and I think that now a lot of businesses and companies are starting to take notice of that, um, whether they think or whether they're trying to greenwash, which means basically they're saying they're sustainable, but they're really not. Um, and so I think it's a matter of doing your research and making sure where your passion lies, right? Like, like I said, food and beverage is not a walk in the park. There's a lot of hours, you're on your feet a lot. Um, and I think it's a matter of seeing where that business is going, what their plan is, um, and you know what employee satisfaction is. Employee satisfaction is huge. If you go to the place and you see that you know the people there are not happy or they have attitudes or you know they're just like they're nonchalant, they just don't care about what the work they're putting out, then that's probably not the place you want to work at because they don't care about their people and you can see that. Yeah. So I think that's definitely a big, a big part of it is allowing yourself time to do the research so that you're not put in a hole that you don't want to be in. I, I think that's a fantastic point. And uh, I, I do think that there is a remarkable amount of power that a day-to-day uh, -day, uh, hospitality worker has when looking for a job right now that you didn't have two years ago. Uh, so it is a bit, again, a bit of a privilege to be able to say like, hey, I'm not going to take this job if I don't absolutely need it. But I think it's also an opportunity for uh, people coming in to help inspire change or help bring new directions to uh, places that uh, might need a little bit of a kick or might need a little bit of a jumpstart. Um, to be able to say, not just say, hey, no, I'm not going to work here because uh, I, I don't agree with 100% of what's going on, but acknowledging the fact that sometimes a job is a job and you need to have, have a job and what changes can you enact while you're there? Can you bring to light uh, some things that might make a place more sustainable? Uh, and I think that as, I know personally as someone who like manages people in these kinds of positions, like I've been really uh, cognizant of making sure that I'm making time every week to listen to my staff, to have time with them, to, to uh, not just train them, but to hear what they want to say, give them a voice at the table. So that way it's not just going back to whatever it was. And I think that there's a lot of innovation that can happen in that way. And then also thinking about, it again, from uh, uh, kind of outside the box, like this larger word of what sustainable can be as someone who does train people and as in a position where I think we all are very aware that like, it's hard to get people to want to come back and do this now. It is, it is a grueling job and is traditionally not a friendly job to a lot, of, a lot of people. And those of us who stick with it really do love it. But I do think there's an opportunity to inspire other people to love it in that way and give them an education and a training that inspires them. And ultimately, as uh, a manager, and, and uh, that is better off for the business as well because I'm not only am I I'm not no longer wasting time looking for more people we've built not a not a family but we've built a crew of people who are passionate about what they're doing and that ultimately again in a sneaky way helps reduce waste I want you to think about the amount of times you've had to train a new staff member and how much product you throw away or how many times you like make something because something's made wrong or you're teaching them how to make something. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the less you have to retrain someone how to do something, you're slightly more sustainable. You can start focusing on some of those bigger aspects, some of those maybe more 
showy or more flamboyant sides that do get get press and do make an impact, but aren't necessarily. Uh, I think there's a lot of sustainability that's not uh, glamorous. I guess is the word I'm looking for here. That things like that, like making sure that you just have a staff you don't need to constantly retrain, can help reduce your waste. Also, considering if you have an environment where your staff is happy, those little tedious tasks you ask them to do that are sustainable don't seem so daunting because they they've invested in the culture and they care and they're or they're a little bit more careful and considerate. And those things that you're requesting of them are actually going to get done. Um, so I, I, I totally agree with everything you both said. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. To to jump in what you're saying there again too, like I'm a big believer in explaining why we do something. Uh, like I, I love educating, I love teaching. That's really what kept me in, in this industry, like being able to share things I've learned with people and giving someone the why of, what, of what's going into this task, not just, hey, do this thing, but trying to really build that bigger understanding. Uh, like you're talking about what that, what's that larger picture to you know, say the next generation or educating yourself about your uh, company's culture. Uh, giving them the why of something's being done gives them not only the power to understand and contribute to what you're doing now, but to ha- then help shape and change that for the future uh, with new ideas because they're not just doing it by rote. They're looking at the thoughtfulness of why something's being done. Yeah, I want to jump on that company culture because I think that that's a big one. Um, I think yeah. in terms of company culture, it's kind of reevaluating that Um and I think a big part in preparing people to get into the food and beverage industry is preparing them and letting them know that everybody expects something out of you, right? But here's what happens. You have that control. Don't give them the reins to you, right? There's a, there's a difference between the expectation of people needing things from you and how much you're going to give them. It's just the way it is. Like, we're not going to sugarcoat it. In this industry, you're giving so much of yourself in so many ways that you never thought you would or could, right? Um, and sometimes, most of the time, it's without realizing it. So, whether that's consumers or employees or employers, um, you know, most of the time, that's what happens. But I think it's important within the company culture to understand what values those companies hold, right? And make that into the culture, you know? Um, how much you're willing to express when the line has been crossed, right? Having an open conversation about these things. Um, And I think that when people say, leave your emotions at the door, um, that's where things kind of start to fall apart because we're humans, we have emotions. We can't just leave like half of our lives outside the door when we're dealing with something. And I think that that part of the company culture in terms of food and beverage is something that needs to be reevaluated and redeveloped for sure. Uh, I'll absolutely agree with that. I think there's been seeing some great conversations going on online about the use of the word uh, family in a workplace setting uh, and that whole idea of where it's like, how easy is it to take advantage of someone when you convince them that you're family uh, in, in when it's one of these situations. So I think that being open to that idea of saying like, hey, we can have a conversation we can talk about things like I think it's one of the biggest shifts that I've seen right now is people are no longer like it's such a small thing but you guys would do this a long time too it the that, fact that people are no longer scared to call out sick if they're even feeling just slightly run down yeah that is such a massive shift in, in, yeah. in the culture of uh, uh, the expectation even from managers and owners of what they're expecting from their staff and I think that's a good thing <laughs> I think that's sure. a good thing it's amazing. it's starting to set up some small boundaries to say, hey, we need to have these conversations. We need to have 
safety nets in place for uh, ourselves, for uh, as employees, for you as employers, and also for our customers, for our guests. Like we, let's again, let's not sugarcoat it. We work in the business of hospitality of selling alcohol and food. We have a responsibility, not only just a moral one, but also in many cases, a legal one to keep an eye out for how we are serving our guests. So we have unfortunately in a lot of ways over the past two years been put on the front lines of enforcing safety protocols that have a lot higher stakes than they would have had two years ago when it was no shirt, no shoes, no service. So uh, keeping that thoughtfulness in mind, keeping those conversations uh, open and a part of it, I think are a big part of where we're going to see changes uh, in company culture uh, in the next couple of years. So I have a question for you both then. I, you know, this is something I've been talking about a lot and thinking about a lot, and I'm always interested in everyone's perspective, but you know, we're in a position now where we do have a lot of individuals that are leaving the industry. What are the ways, and maybe there aren't any, but are there ways in which we can invite them back if they are in new careers and in new positions to assist in helping us rebuild this industry, the industry they know so well? It, it For me, it seems automatic. It's like, it makes sense, right? Somebody is now an accountant. Why wouldn't I invite them back to educate food and beverage individuals on the best ways to be you know financially stable and well i mean i think i think identifying what brings joy in the workplace has a lot to do with that i think that that joy was lost uh for a good amount of time because we're just always in the hustle and bustle of things and we keep our head down and we just move 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 go 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 and you know i don't blame people for leaving the industry i completely understand you know there's times when i'm just like what the hell am i doing like why why am i digging myself to the ground like this but it's because although as crazy as it sounds i want to like i love everything that i do and everything that is a part of my career so whether that's cooking or training or teaching or developing or tasting um and i think that you know, those aspects of my life, they actually, as imbalanced as it may feel, they actually provide me with the balance. It's it's like, I don't know how to explain this. It makes no sense even when I talk about it sometimes, but I feel like people that know, know. Um, <laughs> I, I, say, I, I, complete, I, I completely understand that mentality, I mean, 100%. I get it. You know yourself well enough to like love that hustle bustle life, busy, busy. And then you also understand what your threshold is, right? It's Uh, like, okay, cool. I need to take a step back or okay, cool. I'm getting to that point of no return. And I think that's all about that balance, right? Yeah. Uh, To go back to Thais, what you're saying a little bit about it. I think part of it's that personal boundaries, not even just like the company culture and stuff like that. What's your personal culture and your boundaries? I, I, I was on my way out of this industry in the past year and a half, I thought that like the style of what I like to do, what brought me into it was kind of gone. And I got very lucky uh, that, uh, um, and very fortunate in a lot of ways to be able to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, And I'm very glad that that's the case because I really do love this industry. I love what's going on for it. And I want, I I have had so many friends who have left as well. And I wanted, I've had conversations with them about like, hey, I know you don't want to work five days a week anymore. But if you want to come in and like lead a class, I know you love Sherry or, Hey, you're doing this new thing now. Like let's have you come in and lead like a lineup or a master class uh, if you're into it. Uh, or even again, looking at like the company culture of like looking at ways to partner, to uh, uh, pay people for their time. 
to make sure that like, hey, if we are inviting them back in to have these conversations and share knowledge that they are compensated in some way. I think that that's the larger conversation where we're in a place where, uh, I, I've said this before, I think it says to you, Lauren, that I think it's interesting, I make this comparison to like kind of the end of prohibition where you've had this really long period of time where people left the industry and now everything's coming back online and everyone wants it to be 100% right away. Uh, and there wasn't enough people to train or teach anyone at the end of prohibition. Everyone's looking at like old bartender books, which is like if my mechanic handed me his uh, service guide to my car and said, okay, you fix it and left me alone for half an hour. My God, I had no idea what I was doing. But now we're fortunate that we have all these resources uh, like Diageo Bar Academy, like World Class and all these wonderful mentors like Julie Reiner uh, around to be able to teach and share knowledge. And there's so many people who've learned from all of them that I think that speaking again about how do you empower people, how do you invite them back in, if you reach out to these people and like give them the opportunity to try to teach like maybe some of their mentors have. Uh, I think you can see some people at least be engaged in something that's been a huge part of their lives that they really, really enjoy. And sometimes it's time to be done. I'm a big believer that life changes and everyone's journey is personal. And at some point in time, you have to choose when you hit your boundary and you know, I need to make a change. And then I will 100% support all my friends who are in that place. And I welcome them in to just have a drink at the bar, have a snack and not have to ever think about a lineup or, or a training or anything like that ever again. Um, but I, I am interested to see how we can do that. Yeah, I think it's also interesting, you know, to call back a few people that have left uh, the industry and hear what, you know, what happened to them? What, what wasn't emotionally sustainable for them in their workplace, right? What, what was it? What was that final straw that was just like, you know yeah. what, I'm done with this, you know? And but because we can learn from that. Those we're not having, right? Right. We're not having those conversations. We're yeah. just going throughout our days and everybody's just kind of expected to deal with it in their own way. You know, whether that's going out and partying all night or drinking or like, you know, there's, there's things that we do because we, we're not comfortable talking about what we go through in a workplace. It's just what it is. Yeah, that so this, this emotional unsustainability that has been happening, you know, that's why people have left. I think, you know, they're just burnt out. Like what would, uh, what would it look like, you know, to think long-term and establish habits that force us to create boundaries on an ongoing basis, rather than just in moments when we're feeling burnout, you know? And I think that that's the conversation that needs to be had with these people that have left so that we can also learn from that. That, that is 100% accurate. I, I hadn't thought about it that way until you voiced it that way. And I'm so glad you did because that just changed how I was thinking about a lot of these conversations I've been having. And I'm excited to go back and have some of these now. And again, it brings up that same where we started with sustainability. Yeah. What was unsustainable about this lifestyle, about this job, about this position that you were in yeah. uh, and how do we change that? So that it's not just about, again, going back to your point, Lauren, about privilege. Like if you, if you can't take care of yourself, how can you possibly expect it to put in place practices that are thinking about future people, you know, 30, 40, 60 years down the line. So how do we create an environment now allows people to feel safe and have the boundaries to be able to have the emotional bandwidth to think about that in a way that is impactful and meaningful to them uh, mm -hmm. while they can take care of their basic needs as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot a of our point. energy, a lot of our energy, you know, is relocated to being defensive. Right. And so I think <laughs> that that's another part of it. So it's like this de defense strategy that we have to kind of deal with 
the crap that we go through on a day-to-day basis or like the overwhelming load that is that we put on ourselves or that people put on us or both. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's a matter of, of making sure that we're creating that safe space that people are seeking because especially now, man, like there's, there's, you know, when you feel threatened, you can't innovate, right? You can't create. So how are we supposed to continue to evolve and innovate when emotionally we're not okay? It just, it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole basis for Focus on Health was hospitality starts with taking care of yourself. Like we cannot be whole and, uh, you know, lead teams and take care of patrons and protect our staff if we're not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder what, other things both of you think like I think we need to start at the beginning like not even 101 it needs to be 100 when we're establishing you know the ideas for our business plans are we incorporating the safety plans for our employees and staff and for you know what education we'll be providing them with in regards to like bystander intervention or um, de-escalation whatever it may be but like these are all things I think that we should be considering not as um, not as, uh, you know, it, not in situations where it's, a, the situation has already occurred or happened and now we need to fix it, but as preventative measures, mm-hmm. um, are there other things that you can think of that we should, you know, that we should be incorporating into our business plans, trainings, education, etc. for, I think for new staff and for staff that we already have within our establishments. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, you're talking about like going forward. I think that the reality is that anyone who's not making two or three contingency plans about how do you stay nimble is not doing half the work right now. And that's a lot about planning about how do you take care of your staff? How do you train your staff? Uh, how do you keep them safe? Uh, like going back to what we were just talking about, like if people don't feel safe, they don't feel taken care of, they have, they have every right and should 100% right leave for another job to take care of themselves like that is something i think that everyone's kind of learning as well and i think that there are a lot of things that as a a, you know hospitality culture kind of have to change but i do think that from what i've been hearing from people who are looking to be part of this industry right now that they are looking for those essentially value adds what are the things that they learn that are not just uh handing a a plate to someone else it's yeah, de-escalation, um, uh, some kind of training, some sort of opportunity to, to grow. I'm a big fan right now of cross-training everyone from every position that I possibly can because I don't know, someone might be really interested in being a bartender or a sommelier. I actually, I work with a, uh, a gentleman right now who I first met him. Uh, he was a kitchen server, essentially a runner at Nomad Los Angeles. He's now one of our Whoa. sommeliers like three years later. Whoa. Like oh, that's, that's awesome, that is, uh, and that's promoting amazing. internally. That's so yeah. important. Yeah, uh, it's I, I, I'm a speaking of company culture. Like I'm a big believer that the idea is like if you start a new job at a place, you should start at the lowest position. Not because like Absolutely. you don't have the skills to do something else, because you have to learn how the place works. You have to learn how everyone works yeah. together. Builds up that idea of like you understand how the company culture works, and you can see if it's a healthy culture, and you can help contributing to it. Um, but I, I personally would love to see more things like, you know, de-escalation training, uh, uh, you know, personal uh, financial trainings, things like this that often get o- overlooked. And if you think about the things that are kind of required uh, in terms of 
safety to be a part of this job anyway. We already have things like a food handlers or food safety certification. You have to go to make sure exactly. you're not serving a warm food. Uh, you know, as a bartender, I every year I'm going to like star trainings or some sort of alcohol education training sponsored by the local authorities to make sure that I understand like what they consider breaking the law or things like that. So giving people the tools to understand this and recognizing that this is part of the job. Yeah. Um, now, ultimately, should the day-to-day -day, like hourly worker be responsible for de-escalating an entire restaurant? Absolutely not. You need to focus <laughs> that so that there's a structure built so they can they can escalate up to their own managers and, and the proper people to take care of that. But again, giving people the knowledge of why something works and how we're planning to do it and what our plan is, same way we give them our fire evacuation plan. Like that, yeah. I think, empowers them to know when those conversations can be handled on their own or when they do need to be handed off and we can get ahead of those problems. Yeah, I definitely think trainings is key. I think that when you provide um, your team with a proper amount of trainings, empowerment just like it comes naturally, right? They don't feel, they don't feel, um, what's that word? Disconnected or, um, you know, the low disassociated. Yeah, dissociated. They don't have that low self esteem or lack of confidence to be able to tackle a situation whenever it comes about, whatever kind of situation. Something's it is. wrong. Yeah. And so I think that training is a big one. And, you know, like you said, it entails all kinds of trainings. It entails emotional training, physical trainings, right? I, you know, Lauren, I think that what you're, you know, what you've been promoting a lot on Focus on Health was, um, you know, taking care of your body, right? Like going outside, doing, you know, getting, getting the stress and getting all of this out um, through physical activity, because that does help. Those are natural endorphins that are going to enter your body, right? So whether that means during your, like, you know, in some of the places where I do trainings, um, the way that I break the ice is I have everybody do jumping jacks or like we do some stretches or I put some music and we got to wiggle it out, you know? And I think that that part of it is, is just in general, a good team building, but then you're doing these trainings after that where they're focused and they care and they appreciate it. Whenever I'm not challenged at work or when I don't feel like I'm getting the proper training sometimes, I also feel you know, unsatisfied with my job. And so imagine, you know, your team when they're looking up to all of these people who are above them that are not giving them information, advice, or training tools to be able to grow the way that they want to grow. Um, I think another big thing is practicing non-attachment. I think that we take a lot of our work home. Um, and I think that, you know, it's like, oh, if I figure this out, then we'll be good. You know, if we can check the box to solve this problem, you know, I'll be successful. And that's just not how it is because that triggers anxiety. And the reality is, it's like, we'll never finish that. That'll never, you know, that thought will never finish. And so we, the work will never stop, whether that means, you know, it's, it's, it's new issues will always arise. Right. And it's just a matter of, the beauty of these issues in the workplace that we have the power to leave them there and exercise this power by gaining the perspective by having time away from our work right if you're working seven days a week sorry bud you're going to burn out and you're going to be attached to all these issues and it's going to take over you and you're going to be you know anxiety ridden and you're just like not yourself so i think that making sure that um, we allow people to take time away from work you know, not checking your email, you know, every day or on your day off or like turning off your phone or silencing your phone or whatever it is, taking a walk without your phone, whatever that means so that we can have perspective during these situations and not have them attached to us because 
we walk with that. Yeah, I agree. I, I've gotten much better. I think COVID was good for me in that I really learned what my boundaries are. Yeah. Um, and I, I have said no to more things than I have said yes to in a very long time. Um, when I am out of office, my out of office goes up. You are not texting me to talk about work. <laughs> not responding to you. For sure. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and, and just being very direct with what I'm okay with and what I'm not okay with. And yeah. for a really long time, I think I thought it was like, oh man, that's like, that's so mean or that's so disrespectful. It's like, no, I'm setting a precedent for what's okay and what's not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. As soon as I started working in hotels, my general manager told me he was like, "I know how you work." He was like, "When you are off, I want you to be off." And that was eight years ago, you know. And ever since then, I was like, "I don't understand what you're saying." What do you mean? He's like, "You will understand because you're gonna get phone calls, you're gonna get emails when you're not here." And I was like, "Of course, mm-hmm. like I'll answer. It's fine. My team needs me." And I'm just like, and then I understood afterwards. I was like, "My team doesn't need me. They are comforted." by my words they're comforted by me being there they're comforted by me saying yes this is okay do this instead of empowering themselves to take the Mm -hmm. decision and so once I stopped turning you know stopped returning phone calls or stopped answering emails on those certain days that I was not there they figured out how to problem solve like they figured it out the world is not like the place is not going to burn down if I don't pick up your phone or answer your email and so that was and that's goodness. where we ensure we're building those teams, right? Yeah, the teams that can yeah. take care of that stuff when yeah. we're not there. Everything that we've been talking about here is about building that team to actually give us a sustainability, being able to like, cool, I could put down my phone for two days. Like that's, yeah. I mean, it's a you phrase it beautifully again, like that idea where it's like I remember when I started working in hotels too, and like getting the phone calls and getting the emails and being like, I'm going to answer this all the time. And then the older I've gotten and the more I've done it, to realizing like just remind myself as my partner, like say, we're not saving babies. <laughs> we're making food and drink and giving a wonderful experience. Yeah. But if my staff can't find the bottle uh, of booze in the liquor room because they haven't done the organization on it, giving me a call and texting me isn't actually going to make that better. Right. It's going to be like, I'm going to be like, it's there. I know where, and they're fine. But then it's just going to make them want to come to me next time around instead of being like, cool, let's walk through these systems. Let's have you start putting things away. Let's have you start uh, entering in invoices so you know what things cost, giving them those opportunities to grow. Because yeah. uh, also, again, if we're talking about the future and these training things we've been, um, there is a little bit of that aspect. Like if they do rely on us for all the answers, there's no growth for them. So then where, where are they working up towards? How do we empower them to become, to get the opportunities that we had? or at least that I had, uh, I guess the way you put it like that is like, let them kind of sink or swim sometimes. Like be like, yeah. cool, you, you've got the tools to do this. Let's see how you do. And then come back and answer how questions. Many, and- how many times have you been thrown into the fire when you thought you weren't prepared? Like- Oh my God. This is how we've learned. This is why we're here. This is why, you know, we do what we do and why we're at the level that we're at because we've been thrown it's into very- the fire and we've had to figure it out on our own so many times. Oh. It's so true. The very first bartending <laughs> job I ever had was I was given a Saturday night bartending shift. I was given a printed sheet of paper with like 13 cocktails on it that were all like Alabama slammers and stuff like that. And like, cool, go for it. And then it was seven people deep for the next four hours. And I woke up the next morning. Yeah. I was like, cool. I, I think I'm going to keep doing this, <laughs> which, which says <laughs> a lot. <laughs> of mine. Yeah, I was like, thrown into my first bartending shift after only doing like barback shifts and some uh one, oh very funny story one of our bartenders broke his wrist at a guar mosh pit it nice. was the funniest it was like the most fun night 
And then the next day, confirmed she broke his wrist. And Derek turns around. He's like, okay, you're bartending tonight. And I was like, it's Friday. He's like, yeah, you got this. And I was on service well. And I was horrified. (laughs) And and I was like, I'm going to do this forever. (laughs) Yeah. Because we're crazy. We're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But it's the it's the thrill. I mean, I listen. I've I've I have not been doing this a very long time at all. But I left my nursing career to come into it, and I've met wonderful individuals who've really set me up for success in ensuring that I respect the boundaries I set for myself. I empower other individuals to do the same, and you know we got to keep building and keep moving forward. And you know, one of the best things I think that I've ever been told was. Uh, by a friend, Laura Louise Green. Uh, and she said, when I write my book, in my full word, I'm going to write the following. I hope this book is not relevant in five years because that means we're still transforming and changing. And I was like, that is the best thing I've ever heard. It is so That's true. a great one. Very true. It's so true. Right. And I, I, I agree. I hope that this conversation we're having is somewhat relevant, but that it's com- a completely different conversation. That we're having. Yeah. I, I, I very much hope that as well. Yeah. Well, okay. So I don't know if y'all know this. We end with two questions every episode. So the first question is, if either of you could go to your favorite bar or restaurant right now, what would you eat and what would you drink? Uh, <laughs> oh, I know this one. I know this one. I got this one. Can I go first? Yeah, you go first. You go, first. go first. So I really miss... I'm from Washington Heights. I'm from uptown. And so I really miss Dominican food. I miss. I knew you were going to say it. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I would definitely go to Caridad, which there's okay. a few of them. Yeah, you know, you know Caridad, right? There's one in the Bronx. <laughs> of course there is. So I would go there or Malecon or Malecon, Caridad or Malecon, one of the two, because they both have this. And it's the, it's the fried steak. Um, and so what they do is like they slice up pieces of sirloin or steak. I don't know what kind of steak it is. Um, and they fry it and then they season it with like uh, an insane amount of lime juice and mojo. Oh my God, it's so good. And I then, oh my God. And then like I miss, I miss the pigeon. Oh. Feet. oh my God. Right. Thank you. And it has like a little <laughs> bacon in it. Oh, yes. I don't even know but what like, I would drink from there. Oh, I would drink a Mori Soñando, which is, um, it's non-alcoholic, but it's delicious. It's orange juice, condensed milk, vanilla. Um, and I think it has milk sometimes. I don't know. It's that delicious. sounds you amazing. Surprised oh. me. It's so good. You surprised me a bit. The only thing I got wrong was your protein. I was like, she's going to say roasted pork, pork butt, arroz con gondules, some maduros or tostones, and then... <laughs> No, because I make tostones here. Tostones I've been making here. I have it on the menu, actually. But like, and I make like that good Dominican mojo. But I really miss that fried steak, man. I just, it's oh, so good. What about you? No, that sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's a hard one for me. Because um, for me, my favorite bars are always the, the atmosphere and the people that are around. So what yes. I really miss are the people. So if, if I got to go to my favorite place right now, what it would be would be wherever I could have the most of my friends around me and that I could get a five to one gin martini with a twist without having to explain that math to the bartender. 
uh, <laughs> uh, and if I'm being completely honest, what I would want to eat is I'd want to have that moment with everyone. And I've been in Los Angeles for so damn long now that what I'd want is to be able to walk right outside to like that perfect taco truck or side stand there and mm. be able to get like a plate of tacos for everyone and just share it as we like exited the bar, went off for the night. That sounds amazing. Yum. Ah, I love that so much. All right. And then <laughs> the last thing we do when concluding the episode is I always come up with a cocktail that's based on the conversation. And what better cocktail to make than one that features sustainability? Uh, so clean and so clean. So <laughs> what we're going to do here is feature a Kettle One Collins that has mixed citrus oleosaccharum. So oleosaccharum, you take the oils or the peels of uh, citrus and it usually macerates with sugar for a period of time. So we'll do that. And then we'll take some um, excess juice, maybe lemon juice and lacto-ferment that. So we have an increased shelf life, so no waste there. Putting our ounce and a half of Tanqueray, or I'm sorry, uh, ounce and a half of Ketalon, otherwise Tanqueray 10, which would be delicious. And topping it off with a little bit of soda water, adding... Um, uh, that ice, and you have this delicious, crisp, effervescent um, Collins. Collins is literally one of my favorite cocktails, so any excuse, I have to mention. Are you making this right now? No, no, no. I oh. wish. I wish. <laughs> I have made it. That's, I have that's a very impressively made. quick lacto-fermentation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is quite impressive. Um, yeah, so that, that, you know, again, it's really just being intentional about the products coming in and how we are putting them out right so um yeah. and for those of you who did not check out so fresh and so clean you need to check it out adam did some amazing work with kettle one with his world class journey um and we'll be sure to put that information in the description of this podcast episode awesome awesome <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, I appreciate you both so much for joining me. I realize my video is off. I'm going to put it on. I appreciate you so much for joining me. <laughs> it was really lovely to see both of your faces. Um, yeah, amazing conversation. Finally, we did it. We got together. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Three time zones in one space. It's great. <laughs> Glad we made it happen. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. This is cool. Yeah. Good conversation. Thank you for listening to the Currency Exchange podcast. To learn more about Currency Exchange, World Class, or Diageo, visit fohealth.org backslash currency exchange podcast.